All right. This is Ann Lowe for Savage Family. This is Linton Gracie Johnson. Yeah, yeah, this is Tally Taliwa from Nomadic Massive. This is Son of None from Be More. Hi there, this is Pauline Black of The Selector, and you're listening to Rebel Beat. And you're listening to Rebel Beat. You listen to the Rebel Beat. And you're listening to the Rebel Beat. You're listening to the Rebel Beat. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> this is M1, M-A Uno, M-A Della Hente, Comprending, Intending, you feel me? I'm one half a dead press to tell it like it is. Everything is political rap duo. Here holding my middle finger up to imperialism worldwide. And you in tune right now to the Rebel Beat 100. Keep it unlocked. Hey, what's up? You're listening to The Rebel Beat, a podcast of revolutionary music, class war on the dance floor. Today on the show, we bring you part two of our People's History of Godspeed, You Black Emperor. We're going to be hearing an interview with Ephraim Manuel Menek, who plays in the band. I was really grateful to have a chance to sit down and talk with him about the last 25 years of Godspeed's music, social movements, and a whole lot more. So don't go anywhere. We're going to get into it real soon. Welcome back here on the program. This is The Rebel Beat. My name is Aaron. Thanks so much for being with us. As I was saying to lead off the show, this is part two of our two-part series. We're doing a people's history of Godspeed, you Black Emperor. I wanted to do something to celebrate this momentous and incredible Montreal anarchist post-rock band. They just released their latest album, uh, God's be at State's End in April this year on Constellation Records. And that album kind of in and of itself really prompted and inspired me to uh, get more podcast episodes and get more episodes of The Rebel Beat out. Because, you know, if there's anything that says revolutionary music to me, it's really the music of this band. They've been so important and, and you know, absolutely illuminating not only in my life but i know in the lives of so many radicals here on turtle island and so if you haven't had a chance yet to listen to part one of this series uh, do go back and listen to that you can find it on our website at rebelbeatradio.com in that episode i sat down with kevin lowe and charmaine khan uh, two friends of mine two fans of the band and you know amazing organizers political activists and amateur music critics in their own right. Uh, so that episode is a lot of fun. In this episode, you're going to hear from Ephraim Manuel Menek, who plays guitar for Godspeed, You Black Emperor. You might also know him as the singer of A Silver Mountain Zion. And I should say that Ephraim isn't speaking on behalf of the band here. 
Godspeed don't really have spokespeople or anything like that. It's, it's kind of rare for them to do interviews. And so we agreed to do this uh, by focusing on the politics surrounding the band rather than their music per se. And I actually wanted to release this episode quite a few weeks ago, but then Israel started bombing the Gaza Strip, and I just got incredibly caught up in in organizing, in Palestine solidarity organizing. Um, that takes up a lot of my time, and it's a movement that I'm incredibly devoted to, and it was a really tragic last couple weeks. Of course, we know over 256 Palestinians killed in the Gaza Strip, over a quarter of them being children and this just seems like the kind of thing that Israel's trying to get away with every five years now ruthlessly attacking a people that are under siege uh, you know entrenching it's it's apartheid throughout all of historic Palestine and um, you know at the same time it is of course tragic but it is really inspiring to see the myriad of ways that Palestinians are standing up and resisting Israeli apartheid And so I'm actually really grateful that part of the conversation I had with Ephraim here touches on Palestine, the Intifada, and on anti-Zionism. And so we're holding Palestine very much in our hearts as we get into this. We encourage you, wherever you're listening to this, to help bring down Israeli apartheid. I do want to mention a couple other quick things before we get into this interview. The Rebel Beat is a proud member of the Channel Zero network of anarchist podcasts. You can find your new favorite anarchist podcast at channelzeronetwork.com. And if you like this podcast, please do support us. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rebelbeatradio, where you can make a donation uh, for as little as even $1 a month. It really, really helps us, helps pay the bills, keep the lights on pay for web hosting and all that. So again, patreon.com slash rebelbeatradio. All right, and without further ado, let's get into part two of A People's History of Godspeed, You Black Emperor. Ephraim Manuel Menek of Godspeed, You Black Emperor. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit more, delving more into this people's history of Godspeed, You Black Emperor, looking back at the last 25 years or so of the band and, you know, how the music has intersected with social movements, both in Montreal and around the world. So Ephraim, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. And I guess, yeah, it, this is such a funny question to ask people these days, but like, how are you hanging in there? I'm okay, you know? Um, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> I was definitely, like, when this all started, I was sort of filled with this, uh, like, all-consuming rage, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and just sort of holding my breath until they, you know... I don't know. Our states are failed, you know? So it's, it's, uh, as someone who's like, you know, very distrustful of the state, it's, it's, it seems like the bare minimum is they should take care of us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the, the basic fucking requirement, you know? So yeah. I don't know. Uh, but I'm, I feel okay these days. <laughs> right on. I feel like when people ask me, like, 
you know, what's up with you or what's new. I don't even know how to answer that because I feel like days just kind of blend into one. And uh, today it snowed and it's late April. And I'm like, all right, well, that's new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's (laughs) fucked. That's a funny thing, too. Like with all this uh, pandemic stuff, you know, like touring all the time, you sort of get used to like just sitting around and waiting. You get a little too good at that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so like having spent now like a year and a bit just sitting around and waiting, it's I'm come to realize like how destructive just sitting around and waiting is, you know? <laughs> totally. Well, to get into this history of the band, I'm going to do this in a bit of like a non-linear way. So I want to start, you know, with more recent things and uh, we'll kind of like work our way backwards a bit. Um, but Godspeed, of course, just put out a new album at the beginning of April, Godspeed at State's End. And to me, like, it feels very much like a pandemic album. And, you know, not in the way that, like, bands, like, recorded an album and then the pandemic hit and then they kind of, like, asked themselves this question, well, like, shit, like, how do we promote this or how do we tour this? Um, you all recorded this, like, at, at the height of this thing. Uh, I love what it says in the, in the kind of, you know, liner notes of this. It's uh, we wrote it on the road mostly when that was still a place. And then we recorded in masks later distance at the beginning of the second wave. So can you just tell us a little bit about, yeah, like some of the things that maybe you grappled with like going into this and, and, and what was that like to put out this album at such a momentous moment for the world? Yeah, I don't know. It's like the same as everybody else. It's it's been weird times, you know. Um, We were supposed to record last year around this time. um, And then we had to cancel that because we couldn't figure out any way to do it safely. And then, yeah, this little window opened up. Like most of us in the band have kids. So school had just opened up again, you know, but things were seeming like safe enough that we could just do it in masks and like air out the room, you know, between takes Mm -hmm. or whatever. It was, I don't know. It's, uh, it was weird, but, you know, I don't think any weirder than what we've all been going through in this world, you know? Um, and then, yeah, it was definitely like, you know, figuring out how to contact, you know, we write these songs and we play these songs and we record these songs. And then when the record comes out, it's time to figure out how to contextualize it, you know, which is something we, we give a lot of thought to. Um, and it was definitely, it felt weird figuring out, you know, like what, how do we want to present these songs? you know and uh in the end we sort of just i don't know we just sort of presented them how they are if that makes any sense and the 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 album title kind of reflects that it's like it's like a check-in or something (laughs) that's what it felt like
I mean, like, it, it feels good to have a check-in from Godspeed. Like, I often feel that Godspeed's music kind of comes at a time when I need it most and, and when people, I think, are are grappling with, with different periods of intensity, especially politically. And I want to get into that in just a little bit, but, like, you know, especially if we're thinking about right now, I mean, the world feels like a really desolate place. I mean, I think I think humanity just feels like maxed out, like stretched to its limit. And then, you know, like there's this album that you guys have that's kind of grappling, I think, between spaces of like, you know, reflecting on that desolation, but also like with incredibly inspiring music. Um, And and you all have like always maintained this line like of hope in the face of of adversity. And, And yeah, I'm wondering if you can kind of just reflect on like, how how you grapple with that space between desolation and, and inspiration or hope? Oh, that's a big question. I mean, I think the first thing I would say is like mostly like when we write the songs, we're like materially engaged with each other in a room together, you know, um, and mm. with each other's moods. Um, and I think, I think that's the biggest thing for us. And I think it's that way with anyone who makes music, you know, like it, it, it all starts from there. And that's, that's most of what we're reacting to in any moment, you know, does that make any sense? Like, of course we're bringing mm-hmm. in things from outside, you know, but our, yeah. our, our engagement when we write this stuff, when we record this stuff is, is like private and with each other, you know, um, and so, you know, like, yeah, we, of course we, we want to universalize that, you know, like we want, we want, I don't know, but I think it's important to point out that like, it's mostly about us engaging with each other materially and trying to figure out how to get along and how to, you know, how to lift this piano up the stairs, you know? <laughs> um, and as for the rest of it, you know, like, I don't, it, I don't know if these are like darker times. It's all felt like dark times. Right to me at least, you know, and there's, but there's always this possibility of things getting better, you know, but it, it's, as always, it's going to take a whole lot of fucking work, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Sure. To, to, from my perspective, things are un- unraveling and unrolling exactly like how it seemed they would be, you know, 25 years ago, you know? Um, yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing surprising you know yeah and i mean in a way it's like the pandemic it really just kind of like pulled back the cover on a lot of like social problems that we already knew were there i mean like rampant police brutality the fact that our healthcare system is completely inadequate um you know so it's it, it in a way it's like nothing new but it's like at the same time we're dealing with like this very new coronavirus so it's yeah, it's a strange thing. It's strange times for sure. It very is. Um, well, let's okay. I want to I want to jump back actually a little bit now. Um, so kind of to do this like historical part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so so Godspeed, like you guys have been around since since the mid nineties. Um, very much kind of like anchored in in the Mile End in Montreal and. You know, like I'm a Mylan kid too. And so, so like, I, I really appreciate that, right? Like that, like that, that space and that, that culture that that's been there for a long time. Um, 
And it's of course changing now, right? Like, like we know that like the neighborhood is changing. The face of Montreal is changing, not always for the better. Um, but I wonder if you can kind of like bring us back to like that period of like the mid nineties when Godspeed was, uh, coming together in the Milan, which is like this incredibly diverse and, and, and you know, like a real um, kind of like springboard for, for so many like artistic projects and cultural projects and political projects. So, so you can kind of like take us back and talk about what the Milan was like back then and what were some of the, the conditions that existed that allowed for a band like Godspeed to, to come up and flourish? Oh, I mean, it's like, it's all the boring things, you know, like Montreal was, was compared to the, you know, I grew up in Toronto and I moved here in 1991, you know, so comparatively, you know, Montreal was an inexpensive place to live, you know, but it also sort of drew a lot of people who weren't super interested in, you know, careers or, uh, you know, advancing super far in life if that makes any sense you know so mm-hmm. you know like aiden was already living in mile end i moved to mile end i can't even remember like 93 or something and i moved to mile end because it was cheap you know like that's why i remember at the time because everything was centered around the plateau you know that people mm-hmm. would be like yeah, that's far you know which is crazy that's another montreal <laughs> problem everyone has like our, our sense of how far things are but um yeah, I don't know. And, you know, it, Montreal was like kind of emptied out back then, you know, like it was still recovering from the huge Anglo exodus of the uh, 70s, you know, and mm. it, it it was also, I mean, I came from Toronto, Toronto was going to shit too, like the austerity budgets the success of austerity budgets had also fucked things up, you know, like it was a weird transitional time, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I moved to Montreal because I was a high school dropout and Concordia had a mature student program, you know? So I'd been Mm -hmm. living this kind of like rough and tumble semi-homeless life in Toronto as like a dirt bag, you know? And, (laughs) and I burnt out, you know, like I, I got, I went, I became very unwell and I needed like a way out of how I was living. So I applied to Concordia as a mature student. And so, you know, like I came to Montreal and I was just like reading books and stuff, you know, and that, I don't know, that has nothing to do with Montreal. I totally went <laughs> off ton- tangent, but yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, Montreal, it's, it's hard. Cause you don't want to romanticize like, uh, a half empty city, you know, um, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, but there's truth. Like th- times were harder, but times were a lot easier back then too. You know, like it wasn't as expensive to live, you know? Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I don't know. And mile end when we were like all centered around the hotel to tango and stuff, like, I don't know. There weren't, it wasn't like a huge scene, you know, like, like Hmm. there was kind of us and then a lot of older Portuguese and Greek families, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, it's weird because it's forgotten and erased now, but like, you know, from park until uh, center bear, you know, so Jean-Mans Esplanade, Waverly, um, 
all those streets from Bernard to Van Horn, you know what I'm talking about? Like yeah. the northern half of those streets, because Van Horn is still basically a highway, you know? So mm-hmm. that's where all the cheaper rents were. And there were like, there were like huge families from the point and uh, from like the uh, abandoned Anglo enclaves in the East End who lived on those strips. There was like, you know, pure lab, poor working class uh Quebecois families who were living up there there was like that was that was our community more than than uh you know you know dudes in bands or whatever you know um mm-hmm. and that's, that's all been erased now you know that's that's all gone you know mm-hmm. like my land is not a working class neighborhood anymore you know right for a while now you know mm-hmm. and i mean in a way it's like you know, you have like tech companies like Ubisoft that that came in, and you know that, that that's kind of like the new face of the Milan now. And um, you know, the, like this gentrification that that kind of capitalized on on you know like the social capital and like the the coolness factor that was there. And um, like ironically, it's probably pushing out a lot of artists and a lot of low income folks today. And I'm wondering, like. Yeah, like if if you look at Montreal today and kind of like compare it to back then, like what are what are some of the the biggest changes that you see? I think, you know, like Montreal's been always been a very you know, it's it's always been a it's weird because Montreal in its residential areas has always been a very beautiful city, you know? Mm. And then like a very ugly city outside of that, you know what I mean? Just like urban planning mistake on top of urban planning mistake, like weird mix of like, you know, kind of nice brutalist architecture with like weird postmodern, like nineties bullshit, you know, like it's always Mm -hmm. been kind of a mess outside of that, but the neighborhoods have always been really beautiful. And when the city was half emptied, you know, it was kind of utopic, you know, because you could just, you know, walking around where you lived was a joy, you know? And I think, you know, of course people figured out like, Hey shit, these neighborhoods are beautiful. Um, I want to buy a house here, you know? And, and that right there is the beginning of the end, you know, like um, Mm -hmm. it becomes a different thing, you know? And I don't know. I don't know. It's the, my line's a little easier because Ubisoft was kind of what put the final nail in the coffin, you know, and mm. fuck Ubisoft and fuck the city <laughs> for giving them the grants they get, you know, I mean, but so that's simple. But then, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer to any of that stuff is, you know, like everyone mm-hmm. deserves to live. Everyone deserves to have a sense of place. Everyone deserves to live in a community that makes sense to them, you know, like these shouldn't be hard fought battles. They should just be what it is for everybody. You know what I mean? And yeah. Totally. Yeah. Moving ahead a little bit, kind of moving on from the nineties. Um, today is actually, this, this is kind of interesting. Today's the 20th anniversary. I just realized of the massive protests against the FTA, the free trade area of the Americas in Quebec city. So, so this was, um, a huge turning point for, for like so many radicals in Quebec all around turtle Island. It was like Quebec city became a convergence point 
uh, for myself. I, I was a teenager back then, but I, like I went to that protest in, in Quebec City and it was, um, you know, one of the biggest or the, like the first big protest that I ever went to. And um, like in terms of situating it amongst Godspeed's music, it was kind of like this period, it was right after you guys had put out Lift Your Skinny Fists, maybe just a little bit before the the Yankee um, UXO album. And and you guys actually did a benefit show uh, back in 2001 for the CLAC, which is the anti-capitalist convergence yeah. and the mobilization that was happening. Um and I'm wondering if you have any memories of that show or if you can maybe just tell us a little bit about that show or kind of like the spirit of the time as you felt it. Hello? Yeah, right. Okay, first of all, this show is a benefit for CLAC, which is a group that, among other things, is organizing in opposition to next spring's Summit of the Americas in Quebec City. And uh, we encourage everyone here to visit their table, which is in the hallway, and, uh, and figure their own shit out. Tonight, we're making the following demands. <laughs> demand number one. We demand the immediate dissolution of Montreal's municipal government. And we demand that all representatives of the federal and provincial governments leave the island of Montreal immediately. Okay, demand number two. We ask all police officers to hand in their weapons and go home. Your services are no longer needed. This is number three, and this is the important one. We declare, we declare the island of Montreal to be its own free and autonomous state, run collectively by the people, for the people, in the name of the people, uninfluenced and unhindered by the goddamn fucking flow of goddamn global capital. Hey, Okay, we've got five years to pull this off. Let's start tomorrow. I mean, in this regard, I can only speak for myself you know but uh mm -hmm. like yeah i just i mean i don't know like for when i there were all these years that i would just go to protest by myself you know like mostly just okay well at the very least i could just i'm, I'm a body you know <laughs> and yeah. uh and moving here from toronto into 1991 you know it takes you a few years also to understand what the lay of the land is too you know like what to figure out like all the signifiers and what anything means in the moment. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. uh, politics are very fucking complicated and you have to like, you have to, you have to spend a lot of time observing and thinking and reading, you know, to like understand the history of a place or, or what moments mean or, or what actions mean, you know? And so like, yeah, I had a bunch of years of that. And then when clack happened, that was super fucking exciting mm. um, because there was 
finally an organization that was just explicitly anti-capitalist, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And there was also OCAP in Ontario. Do you remember them? Yeah, the Ontario Coalition Against Poverty. Yeah, you know? So there were good things happening, you know? It finally felt like there was, like, uh, some sort of... Because when I was coming up, when I was a kid, like, the anarchists were all white. Um, they were all more privileged than I was. And they were irritating as fuck, you know? And that mm-hmm. turned me off a lot of stuff for many years, you know? And uh, so, yeah, like, Clack and OCAP, there were more interesting things happening, you know? And then, yeah, this the Quebec City... I mean, Quebec City was crazy. I mean, it was crazy at first. I, you know, I went up there with some friends a few days early and went to like, uh, what were they called? Like those meetings to form affinity groups and all that. You oh, know? yeah, the spokes council meetings. Exactly. And that yeah. was my first exposure to anything like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just realizing right away, it was like, because also it was the time of, goddamn, what was her fucking name? Maud Barlow, the Council of oh, yeah, Canadians. The- Right, yeah. remember that shit? Like all that civil society, you know, like uh, Keynesian fucking bullshit, you know. But uh, mm-hmm. so, you know, it's at those meetings we're like, oh, there's a like a huge spectrum of politics in this room, you know. Do you know what I mean? Like, For and sure. that's kind of interesting, you know. And you know what? Ex- no one. It's also like because. Seattle happened, and then this was, I could be wrong, I don't think I'm wrong, this is the first time that they used that, because they're always protesting against these trade meetings, wherever they happened, right? And this mm-hmm. is the first time they were like, oh, we'll just build a fucking fence, you know? Yeah, totally. Well, they, they kind of like made the mistake in Seattle, they didn't have a fence, and so the entire meetings got disrupted. Yeah, exactly. You know, so like this one will build a fence and it was like, oh, that's kind of fucked up. And no one knew what would happen. And I remember like being there that first day when the the fence got torn down within two minutes, you know, like, and then shit just went off, you know, and it was like funny because, mm-hmm. you know, like, again, there was this broad spectrum and like there, there of politics happening there, but everyone got politicized just by what was happening on the ground if that makes any sense you know like the the for sure the amount of the amount of tear gas it would and the strength of the tear gas seems quaint now but at the time and the fact the first time i experienced the thing that by the fourth day they had increased the the strength of the tear gas you know what i mean because you get used yeah. to tear gas right at a certain point so like yeah like like people were just engaging with the fucking fence like it was just four days of engaging totally. with the fucking fence and and seeing the brutality of the police it's like I've never really seen anything like that before you know mm-hmm. like it, it it I don't know it was a big fucking deal and yeah I think I I don't know but it felt like a lot of people got politicized yeah undeniably you know yeah. Just, just because of this fucked up thing that they built a fence and it became a thing of tearing it down, you know, like yeah. it, which is, I don't know. Yeah. It's so crazy. For sure. And also to think like, you know, we're not necessarily talking about like a totally downtown area of the city, like the, where they built the fence, that was like residential neighborhoods. Like you have like St. Jean Baptiste, which is like a very residential neighborhood i mean it's near the downtown of quebec city but quebec city isn't that big of a city and so i think even the residents there were just totally pissed they're like what are you doing to our city like 
I have to basically go through a military checkpoint to get home. So yeah, totally. Yeah, that's what I, I remember. Yeah, yeah, for sure that was true. And then yeah, there was also that crazy thing like because they have the you know the riots every year at Saint Jean, you know, like the mm-hmm. takeover at night. You know, do you, like do you remember that? Yeah. Like it would turn into this other type of thing at night. You know, like I was for like, sure. all right, cool. I mean, it's like at least you're helping keep the t- the cops exhausted. You know. But yeah, I don't know. It was very. And then I remember like right at the end of it, there was this, I don't know, there's, there's so much that happened there, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was a hugely, it was a, it was a big fucking deal. And I know speaking personally, it, it, it helped me figure out, I don't know, like we're, yeah, it helped me figure out my own politics mm-hmm. in, a, oh, yeah. in, a, in a very concrete way, you know? Yeah, yeah. For me, too. I mean, I was I was there for a little bit when, you know, when things were going down at the fence and with the tear gas. But then I was also part of another march, like the day after that it was kind of like the labor union march that just yeah, basically yeah. got led out to this like empty field. Um, and we could even smell the tear gas like wafting. Oh, but you know, dude. From- but do you don't know this? Do you know? Sorry, we're going on a tangent now. No, but there, no, was, there was a fucked up thing that, like, so uh, where the media center was, um, mm-hmm. was up on the hill a bit, um, and so you know, you just go hang out there trying to find friends. You know, um, mm-hmm. you could see the official march, the labor march, and um, there was at some point. Cause you know, like it was a huge march. So it get, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes it gets stalled out and they got stalled out at this intersection and the steel workers all did their own like uh red zone, green zone thing. They were like, fuck it. We're going to go this way. And they took a left <laughs> up the hill towards the fence and you could see it from the media center. Like all these people who were like, you know, council of Canadian type people, you know what I mean? Didn't realize. And they took the left-hand turn too. And so, like, for a couple of hours, you had people just hitting this fence. And you could tell the police were like, this is a coordinated assault on the fence, you know? <laughs> like, because there was hundreds of people who would round this corner and get, you know, tear gassed immediately. Yeah. It was crazy, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, like, I remember being let out to this, like, field in the middle of nowhere and then seeing all these kind of, like, rank-and-file union members around me just, like, totally pissed off and feeling completely like ineffectual like like what are we doing in, in this field and then they just they had these placards and they tore like the the sign part out of the out of the placard so it was just like a wooden stick and then they all went marching back towards the fence so um yeah 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 totally yeah i, I, I didn't see that but yeah there were like lots of moments of that you know mm-hmm. I mean, thinking a little bit more about the early 2000s, because I mean, there was just so much happening then. Um, So I think there were another kind of like two big political contexts. And 
you know, both of these overlapped in many ways with um, with Godspeedy Black Emperor's music. So, so one of them is um, well, I mean, they both happen in the Middle East, but there was the Second Intifada that started in Palestine, and and you guys referenced that a little bit with um, with the Yankee UXO album, yeah. uh, and then of course a couple of years later there was the U.S. invasion of Iraq massive demonstrations happening in Montreal, hundreds of thousands of people in the streets, but that was happening all over the world. And um, maybe, yeah, I mean, let, let's start with the first, because I'm just kind of, I'm interested to get your your take on that. Um, with with the Intifada in, in Palestine, um, what were some of the ways that that kind of impacted you, just thinking back to that? It was, it was the, okay, so now I got to, give background context. I, I went to a Zionist Hebrew day school for, from grade one through nine, you know? Mm. Um, and by grade three, I was an anti-Zionist just because of what I experienced there, you know? Mm-hmm. And then in my adult life after that, there was always this thing that like, you know, back then most people didn't understand anything about what was happening over there, you know? So people would ask me questions about this stuff just because I was Jewish and I would have to, you know, give these history lessons and explain stuff. And the, the, then it divided, changed everything. Like it was the first time in my adult life that, that a huge portions of the world got to see the brutality of the uh, Israeli occupational government, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it changed the conversations completely, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, like everything up until 2000 was like the, if you were reactionary, you just didn't acknowledge any of the things that were happening. And after Mm -hmm. 2000, then you at least had to fucking lie, you know? And that's the politics we're living in now, you know? Actually now it feels like now we're living in the thing where like, you don't have to lie anymore, but you just have to fully be honest that you're a fucking fascist, you know? Yeah. But, uh, or, or deal with getting called a self-hating Jew all the time. For... Yeah. Oh, sorry. But in these last points, I'm speaking beyond, beyond, I mean, getting even beyond the intifada and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like right. politics in general became more, you know, they got talked about more clearly after 2000 and then the September 11th, the invasion of Iraq, you know, definitely, you know, but uh, yeah, that's what I remember. It was like, it was, I don't know. It was like upsetting and inspiring. And also what I can say for sure is it changed the fucking, the conversation, you know, and, yeah. in a good way. Definitely. I mean, there's and I mean, a long way to go, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm Jewish as well too. And, and I think for me, like when I look back at that intifada, um, I, I didn't want to like engage directly with the politics because I knew it was going to piss a lot of people in my family off who were, um, you know, pro-Israel, but then the war in Iraq happened and and I got super involved. Um, I was a student at McGill and we were doing a lot of organizing against the war in Iraq. And then at a certain point it was like, well, I I can't, I can't be against this military invasion of Iraq and, and not say something about this, awful military occupation in Palestine. And so I think, I think those two things like that really kind of like brought it all home and, and um, at least allowed me, and I think allowed like a lot of other Jews too, to just kind of like open up their politics a bit and open up this space and be like, no, like 
that's enough. Like we have to stand up against this brutality. And um, yeah, I mean, so, so thinking back to that period, um, the first, the first Godspeed show I ever went to was in 2003 at the Rialto. And, and to me, it was like a really, really special experience because again, I think it was in the months following the invasion of Iraq and, and there, so there are a few things that happened in that show that just like really stuck with me. I mean, one was like, like you guys will often have, um, you know, radical anarchist um, kind of info shop tables, like where people can buy books or get plugged into like local political projects at your shows. So I remember there was like a table for the anarchist bookstore there. Yeah. And then, um, and then you guys were giving out this, this flyer that, that I kept, which was like, just like, you know, such a profound statement about the war and the situation and, and just like an encouragement for like people to like keep taking the streets. And um, yeah, I'm wondering if you can kind of like bring us back to that moment and maybe just talk a little bit about like things like that flyer, what, what you guys were trying to do in terms of, of agitating at that time. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, this will be a little long and I might get confused, but, but bear with me. I mean, so like when, when Godspeed started, you know, like, um, again, I think like material reality is super important, you know, especially when it comes to music, you know, um, these, cause so much of music is just like, it's like a projection of aspirational ideals that a lot of the time are really fucking shitty, you know? And it also music can, I think in a damaging way, um, deny the material reality that all of us are living in, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so when Godspeed started, you know, like there was all this shit that we didn't want to engage with, you know? Like we didn't want to do interviews. We didn't want to have a band leader. We didn't want like band photos, you know, mostly because all that shit just seemed corny, you know, and it, mm-hmm. and so it ended up with this thing where it was like, you know, like, oh, like we were a mysterious band or something, you know what I mean? Right. Which, which was not what we were interested in conveying, you know, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it was, it was like the opposite of what our politics were, you know, that it's, it was like, it's like how explain was, magazine has to write about you guys or something. But not just explain like, like everything, you know, it mm-hmm. really felt like, you know, like when you're the weirder in high school and you're shy and, you know, like, and then people are like, they, they lay all the shit on you or whatever, you know, like it felt like that, you know? And then when the, and I, I when the invasion of Iraq happened, you know, it was hard because like we wanted to, because of the way we present our music, there's no, like, it's hard to speak, you know, like, like we write songs, we record songs and we play those songs live. That's what we do. There's no stage banter. We, we work hard on contextualizing it through like album artwork, song titles, film projections, you know, Mm -hmm. but outside of that, it's hard to speak to the moment, you know? And I know, like, we were all feeling, you know, this need, oh, well, we have to speak to this fucking moment. So, yeah, there were a bunch of shows around then that we made these, that we would, you know, photocopy these handouts, you know, and just hand them out to people. Um, 
I don't know. And it never really felt like quite enough. Like I remember, that's what I remember at that time, especially touring in the USA. It just felt like because our, our live show presentation, it's, it is a monologue. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We get up there, we put our heads down, we play the show, we walk off stage, you know, like there's no, I mean, like, yeah, you, you can, we'll stand out in front of the venue after the show to talk to anyone who wants to talk, you know, but it didn't feel like enough, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and it's interesting too, because the skinny fist record in, in a lot of ways is, you know, was like a reaction to like us touring in the violent wilds of the United States of America, you know, um, Mm. as a bunch of young Canadians and sort of like reacting to the desolation of that reality, you know, um, which is an, an indictment of what I'm saying is an indictment of the American ruling class. It's not an an indictment of Americans understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and then after, so like on those tours before September 11th, we would get sweated a lot for drugs. You know, we would get pulled Mm -hmm. over for like drug stops and all that shit. then September 11th happened. And there was like a weird few months where like, we weren't getting sweated for drugs. Like the, the police state was realigning itself, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, in 2003, the tours we were doing in the States, we were just sweated all the fucking time for the weirdest fucking shit, you know? Mm. And it was it was heavy, you know? Mm. And it was confusing. And it was also, you would talk to American kids after shows, and it, like the big line of the time is people would have to say, like, that's not my president, referring to Bush, you know? And it was like, well, that's mm-hmm. fucked up because it is your fucking president. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter if you voted right. for him. That's your fucking president. You know, like, I don't know what to start a conversation that way. It felt really confusing. You know what I mean? Like, like somehow denying, you know, any culpability and what was going on. So, like, yeah, there was all this shit going. I just remember, like, the, within the band, those were very confusing and angsty times you know um Mm -hmm. yeah for sure does that make any sense oh yeah no definitely um i'm gonna jump ahead a little bit more um so so yeah so you know of course i mean people who know the band know this but there was a hiatus uh for a bunch of years i mean you continued of course with silver mount zion people had other projects they were involved in um and then you guys got started up again around I want to say like 2010 or so. Yeah. And um I remember the first string of shows back in Montreal since since kind of the the reunion for for lack of a better term. Um so that was in 2011 and I want to tell you like a quick little story um about a Godspeed show. I'm not I'm not sure if if you know this. I mean maybe you do, but um you guys did a show the night of the Canadian federal elections. Mm-hmm. And that was the night that Stephen Harper finally won a majority government. Like he'd already been there in yeah. a minority government. Then he won a majority. And like, you know, we we're just like, we're inside, we're in the show. Like people are just like enjoying the show. I remember I wasn't like paying attention. I think this is like, okay, we had smartphones, but it wasn't like, I feel like nowadays everyone would just be like anxiously on their phone, like looking at the yeah, results. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like we weren't totally there yet. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. 
And then, and then the show ends and, and it was at uh, the Olympia, which is like down on St. Catherine street, downtown. And, and the crowd is emptying out into the street and there's um, a bunch of anarchists who are standing outside the venue and they're just screaming at the top of their lungs. They're like, Harper just won a majority. Harper won a majority demo right now at Barry square. And, and like agitating to get all these people to, to Barry square, just a few blocks away. And then sure enough, like, like this, I know had nothing to do with the show. It was almost kind of a coincidence, but like the student movement had called for a demonstration at midnight, the night of the elections, regardless of the outcome. And so like a whole crowd, like it was a bunch of us who were at the show went and joined this demo. We ended up like marching to like two in the morning, like people were chanting like, fuck Le Canada. And, um, you know, and it just like, it felt like the right space to be in after a Godspeed show. Um, Yeah. And I guess I'm just wondering, like, 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 what do you, how how does that make you feel to know that like, that's kind of like a certain outcome of a Godspeed show? I mean, it's, yeah, it's nice, you know, like, I mean, I don't know. We always want to make a space for people to figure things out, you know, like, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, like it's important figuring, I don't know, like figuring out, uh, figuring out politics is complicated as fucked. And I, I don't trust anybody who claims they have it figured out, you know? It's mm-hmm. like that's something we all have to do together, like through through like conversation and yeah, shared spaces and engagement, you know? So yeah, like of course, like anything like that is fucking amazing, you know? Totally. year after that there was the student strike that happened in Quebec so like again another one of these like massive turning points for for social movements and and for youth here uh, but not just like youth it was like a real kind of like social awakening um, and the album that you guys put out around that time Alleluia don't bend ascend um, that that in a way like it almost felt like a real tribute to the printemps érable and to the student movement I mean, in the liner notes, it says like Montreal right now forever. Um, so yeah, can you talk a little bit more about, you know, bring us back to like the student strike and and what was, you know, kind of what was experiencing that like from your own vantage point? I mean, yeah, it was crazy. You know, like I went, I, God, how, what was the timeline? I remember I didn't go to the first couple ones. I went to the first one that ended up 
being fucking huge, the march downtown, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, like, whoa, what the fuck, you know? And then for myself politically at the time, I was like, yeah, I felt, you know, and it's rare, you know, like I felt civic pride about the uniqueness <laughs> of this place that, you know, like c- compared to what's been done to the rest of the Canada, at least here, that social project of affordable education is still really fucking it's important enough to fight for you know mm-hmm. so that was why i was there you know it was like i wasn't a student i was older even then you know and it was like well there's a lot of fucking people here and then yeah through the casseroles it became that broader crazy thing where it, you know at the height of the casseroles it felt like two-thirds of the city was in the streets you know totally. like you would like hop on your bike you would join your neighborhood casserole and then you'd hop on your bike and, and all the neighborhoods would join up. And like a couple hours later, you know, it would be thousands of fucking people, you know, and mm-hmm. like, and it felt like so, you know, so that it became a broader politic and like, you know, a lot of the time broader politics can become too diffuse to mean anything, you know, um, but this one, it was really, I don't know. It felt unique to this place. It felt unique to like, I think all our shared frustrations with like the mafia state that we live in, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And it, the specificity of the mafia state here. And yeah, I did, and then do you remember this? The big bummer is like the casseroles were growing and growing and growing. And then there's always that one cold weekend around that time of the year <laughs> where it gets like autumn cold and rainy for three days and that happened and it fucking killed it you know that's mm. the biggest memory is going out in the cold rain and like shit no one's here you know like yeah. <laughs> yeah but yeah it was hugely i mean it was yeah i don't know it was super fucking inspiring you know yeah i mean for me it kind of felt like um like a really experimental moment where people are just like we're gonna try all sorts of things like we're going to try, yeah, like banging pots and pans with our neighbors. We're going to try wearing fucking like panda costumes out in demos. Um, it was it was incredible to see like our city in this moment of upheaval and, and creativity. I felt like there was an incredible like cultural expression at that time, you know, like in terms of like street art that was happening, um, you know, people playing music and demonstrations. It was like. I don't know. I don't know if you feel this, but like, I feel like really lucky just to have like almost like been in the right place at the right time. And like, you know, having been able to experience that. Yeah. I mean, me too. You know, I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. Me too. Absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, uh, there is, yeah, I don't know. The history of Montreal and Quebec in general is different than the history of other parts of Canada, you know? And there, there is a way that like class, class consciousness because of the oppression of the French majority for so long, you know, is still really a powerful force here, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'm always, by the time the student protest happened, I I thought that was dead, you know? And it was Mm -hmm. nice to see it reignite, you know? And now speaking this many years later, I'm afraid it's dead again, you know? Um, Because, yeah, neoliberalism uh, destroys all of that, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a very effective bomb. Hmm. Uh, B-A-L-M, yeah. not B-O-M-B, you know? But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. 
It's mm-hmm. funny because I remember like uh, like going back to the '90s. Like the reason Slow Riot for New Zero Canada is called that is because I was living with Dave from the band at the time at, on Ontario Street, and like some Sunday morning, we got woken up at 8 a.m. And all the squeegee punks were rioting with the cops. <laughs> I do. And it was pre-internet and all of that. And like, I, I don't know what, what caught, it wasn't in the fucking newspapers, you know, but there was like, there was this huge scene happening, you know, and then it disappeared as if it had never happened, you know, and like, we're both standing there in our underwear, like, what the fuck just like, what was that about, you know? <laughs> And yeah, that was like, at the time, like Montreal was filled with weird, yeah, yeah, like that, you know, like weird manifestations, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. Um, You said something earlier, I kind of wanted to like pick up on, I thought it was really interesting. You said, you know, Godspeed's music is, you're, you're trying to make a space for people like figure things out politically. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, right? Because I think if you think of, um, I don't know, let's say like a genre, like a narco punk or protest folk. It's like, you've got these lyrics that are really like, okay, this is the problem. This is how it is. This is what we got to do. And it's like, I mean, people can still figure things out through listening to that music, but it's really kind of like prescriptive. Like, here's the issue. Here's, you know, go get them. (laughs) And um you know, you guys play instrumental music, obviously. Yeah. Um, I know there's, you know, like with Silver Mount Zion, it's, it's totally different space and there's like much more room for like engagement with um, with words and lyrics. Um, so yeah, I'm like, I- I'm wondering like how, how you see kind of the, the fact that this is an instrumental band, like h- how you see that kind of lending itself to, to people figuring things out. Well, it, again, it goes back to like, how do we title the songs? Like, it's like, it feels like we're dropping footnotes sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, it's just mm. like trying to like, I don't know if people are interested, look, you know, go look at this, you know, or look at, look at things this way or, you know, like it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's hard. Cause it is instrumental music and instrumental music can be like taken out of context and used for the worst fucking shit. You know what I mean? Like there's no, and so, like, we are conscious that we have to, like, we have to throw, like, a little bit of sand into the gears or whatever, you know? Like, we have to, I don't, like, they're, like, we have to be a pain in the ass somehow, you know? But then mm-hmm. be gentle about it, you know? Because the weird thing about Godspeed, too, is, like, there's still, it's still a lot of younger people who come to our shows who are still figuring things out, you know? And... I've had a million debates with like reactionary right wing 22 year olds after shows, you know, Hmm. Um, it's exaggerating, but you know, like when you're young, I mean, I was this way too in the other direction, you know, when you're young, often your politics are just reactionary because you're just reacting, you know? Um, But yeah, I don't know. It's like, I don't know. I, I, I think we, we feel like a sense of responsibility to, to transmit, I don't know, just to leave breadcrumbs that, that, yeah, allow people the space to figure things out, you know? Um, totally. Because, yeah, like, our side has to win.
I don't know, the politics that we're all of us part of are like the right, you know, they're the right politics, you know? Mm-hmm. They're, they're the, the other way leads to fucking death and privation, you know? I mean, speaking of those footnotes, I mean, you know, one thing that I really appreciate with this new album is um, there, there's an inscription on there um, in Yiddish, like we will outlive them. Yeah. And um, it's just, it's, it's such a profound anti-fascist slogan. Yeah. Um, and I mean, well, you can, and if you want to talk about the history of it, you can, but I mean, I'm just like, like for me, it's like, wow, like we've just lived through this like really fucking intense period where I, you know, God, it's it's hard to talk about, but it's like, you know, if I think about anti-fascism in my lifetime, I didn't even think that I would have to be thinking about anti-fascism this much in my lifetime yeah. because it like, you know, it's a thing that happened in the forties. Right. Or it's yeah. like, you know, it's, I, I knew like, for example, anti-fascist skinheads in, in the nineties and, and two thousands, but I always kind of thought it was like, oh, okay. Like you guys are just kind of like going around beating up like the few yeah. marginal Nazis yeah, yeah, that yeah. existed in like the East end. And now it's like you, you literally had like a president that was cheering them on. And um, yeah, I don't know. So it's, it's but, scary, but like, I just really appreciated seeing that in the album um, as kind of like this, this nod to like, like we, we will outlive them. We have to outlive them. Yeah, absolutely, man. And yeah, I hear everything you're saying about, you know, like, I remember having like ugh, so many years ago, like deep debates with Aiden about anti-fascist stuff at the time, you know, exactly on the level of like, well, this just seems like more white people bullshit to me, you know, do you know what I mean? Like speaking mm-hmm. of you, like, I don't understand the, you know, like given the context we're in right now, blah, 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 you know? And so, yeah, I was always sort of when anytime the F word came up, like, I never wanted to be the pedantic asshole who was like, well, actually, this isn't fascism, fascism, you know what I mean? <laughs> in, mm-hmm. the last, in the last few years, and it's not just Trump, it's everything, you know? Like, I mean, capitalism is reaching an end game where, like, some more horrible new version of fascism, it would totally make sense for the, for the fucking people who have money to go down that road, you know? So it's not just Trump, it's the fuckers who went along with it. You know what I mean? Like the fuckers with money who went along with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of terrifying. And I know that like the, the US is its own fucking historical mess, you know? But there are also these tendencies all over the world right now, you know? And I like, yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a real fucking threat. And yeah, like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, for me, it feels, it feels amazing to know that like we can lean a lot on the fights of our ancestors, right? Like there's a lot of wisdom there. And I think for like the same goes for like people in lots of different communities. I mean, you know, whether you're black, brown, indigenous, I mean, you know, people have these long legacies of, of standing up to all sorts of systems of colonization and fascism. So, so like, you know, th- th- but like that one saying, right. Of like, like we will outlive them. 
is like, it's like a nod to the fact that like people have, have died in this fight, but like they haven't died in vain. Right. Like that. Like, yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe just, um, you know, one thing to end on, uh, <laughs> you've been really generous with your time and, you know, it's a lot to talk about. Um, I, I still love going to, to Godspeed shows and just seeing like that, that word hope projected on the screen, you know, like, I feel like it's, it's something that is really important given everything we're, we're living through. And, uh, and I'm just wondering, like, like how, how do you maintain hope in these days? Just you know, on a personal level. Oh God, Jesus. Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I mean, I'm getting older, so it's, it's a little, things get a little different when you get older, like, you know, um, I don't know, but uh, you know, I have a son and, uh, I have another kid on the way, you know, like I, it, mm. so in some ways it's That's like, tough. yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> I don't, uh, you don't have any choice at that point also, you know? Um, but I don't know. I've always believed in the basic goodness of people. And, you know, I've never believed that that's like a naive, like we're easily manipulated, but we're basically good, you know? And I've always rejected any idea that like, you know, that without the uh, constraints of a state or the police or whatever, we would all immediately start killing each other, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, in my experience in life, which has been pretty broad, you know, like um, I find that people are basically good. We can have a hard time speaking to each other a lot of the time. And we're all sort of burdened with like tribalisms and nationalisms and, uh, prejudices that can that we all need to do the work to overcome in ourselves but we also need to help each other overcome in certain instances you know um yeah i don't know i don't know i've I've never found it very hard to to stay hopeful even when i'm totally fucking at the end of my rope and you know uh fuck it all depressed does that make any sense you know for sure there's always a little hope in there you know, like, especially when things are bad, you know, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really good place to leave it. And, um, you know, again, we've been speaking with uh, Ephraim Menick of Godspeed, You Black Emperor. Um, the new album is really beautiful. So, I mean, I just wanted to say thank you on that level for that. It's, uh, you know, it's it's something that I was looking forward to a lot and and it delivered. So, Cool. Yeah, I think we made a good one. I, I feel good about it, too. Indeed. And thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to speak with us today. Yeah, man. Thank you, Aaron. All right, and that's it for this episode. Again, part two of A People's History of Godspeed, You Black Emperor. Thank you so much again to Ephraim Manuel Menek of Godspeed for being so gracious and, uh, you know, agreeing to talk about the political context surrounding Godspeed's music. I also want to thank my friend Joni from Constellation Records for helping set that up. 
And of course, I want to thank all of our supporters on Patreon. Darren, Sir Seatbelt, Jean-Philippe, Grill, Donald, Philip, Megan, Sarah, Justine, Lee, Ross, Andy, Frank, and Yannick. And if you want to hear your name amongst that fine credit roll of supporters, again, you can head over to patreon.com slash rebelbeatradio. Any amount you can give really, really helps us keep putting out episodes of this show. And with that being said, we hope to be back with more soon. So until then, stay rebel. From Embers is a show produced about anarchist ideas in practice across so-called Canada. Every week we spend about an hour going in-depth about ideas, histories, and ongoing struggles that we think are important. We're a part of the Channel Zero Anarchist Podcast Network. You can check it all out at fromembers.libsyn.com.